Now, John's a tough act to follow, you know, but he worries me. He scares me. He gets up on the stage, and he and Randy are doing that, dum -dum 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 -dum, and I know he's going to do that backwards jump. It's one of the most spiritual moments in Sunday worship for me because I'm pleading at the throne of God, <laughs> don't let him break an ankle. <laughs> yeah, you know. But it's fraught with danger when John is, 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 is leading the worship service. Because you know? just now while, while we were doing the welcome and he's playing the guitar and everybody's happy and so he's looking over at me and he's going, that's my boy. That's my... Just, I love you. Hey, great. Then I realize he's talking to Monica behind me. <laughs> I can't win for losing. But uh, worship is exciting. Um, it's, it's not like when I was a kid. Uh, we, we knew exactly how to worship when I was a kid. You simply stood up and held on to the pew in front of you, and, and you didn't move. And uh, I mean, that, that's just the way we did it. It sort of reminded me of the, 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 uh, the story about the young guy who went to church in Scotland. He went to a very staid uh, Church of Scotland worship service, and he walked in and they're singing the hymns that they don't even like. And he, he's going, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the, <laughs> the usher walks over and says, sir, sir, you're going to have to be quiet. And then the preacher got up and he starts preaching the sermon on some intellectual aspect of the deity of Christ. And the guy's sitting there, he's saying, preach it, brother, amen, hallelujah, brother. By the way, this is the only time you're going to watch me do that. Okay. <laughs> and anyway, so he's saying, hallelujah, brother. And the, the usher goes over and says, sir, you must be quiet. He says, but I've got the spirit. And the usher says, but you didn't get him here. So, <laughs> so if you got the spirit, I hope you got the spirit here and we're worshiping together. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 20 and 21 together. Um, and really, in a sense, Paul just takes a little time out to worship. He spent three chapters talking about uh, the work of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and redeeming us, electing us, sealing us. He talks about that all this is, is by the grace of God, appropriated by faith, and as a result of that, God has brought us together, made of Jew and Gentile alike, one person, one body. Then he prays for that kind of unity. And, and with all of that done, before he moves into chapter 4, which is going to be sort of like, how does this work out in daily life? It's, it's like he stops and he just worships for two verses. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I would just point out that in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for uh, the Lord, that therefore is pointing to what we're about to read. Okay? So Paul's done all this teaching. He's getting ready to do more teaching. He just takes time out to worship. And that's what we're looking at this morning. In verse uh, 20, Ephesians chapter 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we just pause ourselves to adore you, to acknowledge your holiness and your power and your wisdom and your might, to acknowledge that you are supremely just 
and wonderfully, beautifully sovereign over all creation. Father, we thank and praise you for the work you have done for us in sending your Son to die in our place, that you have lifted us up out of death and darkness and placed us into the kingdom of your Son, the kingdom of light and life. Father, we are so thankful that you have given to us your word and have spoken to us and given us guidance and, and Father, have, have given us all the resources we need to, to know enough, to understand you enough, to worship you. Father, we just thank you that you are almighty God. And as we worship and adore you, we pray that your Holy Spirit now would conform us to the image of Christ, that we might become vessels of your praise, and that through us and in us this hour, your name would be lifted up among the nations, that all would acknowledge you and worship you for the mighty, glorious God that you are. We thank and praise you. We worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you, I've been enjoying worship this morning. Yeah. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because I, I sit on the front pew over there, and I just have my hands folded, and I sit there. And I know what John must be thinking. He's saying, Dad, why don't you show a little excitement? I that was excitement. That is excitement, yes. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't get any better than that. But, uh, you know, worship has changed over the years. John is uh, sort of teaching me what, what that's about. But uh, when I was growing up, you never ra raised your hand in a Baptist church unless you were voting on the budget. And then that, <laughs> that was okay. But uh, uh, maybe that's why I don't raise my hand now. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, it, it, we don't really know what to do with our hands anymore. It used to be we knew what to do. We had hymn books. And so we held the hymnal while we didn't sing the songs, but we, we held the hymn, and we knew what to do. And if you tried to raise your hand, the book would fall and be very embarrassing. So we knew what to do with our hands. But now, I don't know what to do, you know. Should I do the Pentecostal thing or, you know, this move? You know, at my age, you know what this means? <laughs> it either means I forgot my Prilosec and I got heartburn. <laughs> Or, Elizabeth, I'm coming home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe I should just do, you know, one of these things, sort of a sedate Presbyterian kind of thing. Or, or I could go back to my Baptist roots and just, you know, that's, that's what we'll do when, when we're... But I, I, you don't know what to do. You know, can we clap? Somebody asked me, is it okay to clap in church? I said, not the way we do it. <laughs> we're just no good at it, you know. Um, I went to a, a, a service. It was an association of churches, and we all went to a, one of the sister churches in the association. And shall we say, this was a church that knew how to clap during the music. And uh, I thought, this, this is great. I'm at this worship service. And look, I know rhythm. I know one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I can even do one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, okay? So I'm, I'm like pretty good at this. I thought... So I said, you know, or I'm at this church. Nobody knows me. I'm going to clap during the music. I'm just going to clap during. And they started singing, and I started going one, two, three, four. And they started. <laughs> now this bothered me for many reasons. <laughs> one, I didn't know it, but the other was everybody else did. You know, it's like like they had hand signals. You know about which clap we're going to use now, and I I, I was just lost. So I did what any self-respecting Baptist preacher would do when he was embarrassed about clapping. I went into deep prayer. 
and, uh, and it seemed to work. But, uh, you know, worship is a beautiful thing. It's just wonderful when we worship together. I encourage you to, to be involved in the worship service. You know, when, when we're singing the songs and, you know, and we're standing, you know, for that two or three hours at a time, uh, it seems like if, if you need to sit down, go ahead and sit down. I sit during the, during the songs, and, and so I just want to encourage you, if you need to sit down, it's okay. God will hear you worshiping. All we ask is that you keep singing. Just keep singing. You say, I don't know how to sing. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I have a theory on this. I have a theory on everything, but I have a theory on this. That is, there are 12 notes in the scale. There's 12 notes here, and then the, the, we just repeat them an octave higher. So there's 12 notes in the scale. And at any given time, and I've checked this out with Troy. He said it was, I was right. At any given time, three of those notes are going to be in harmony. No matter what chord they're playing, three of those notes are going to be good. So you have a one out of four chance of being on key when you sing. So go ahead and sing. Those are pretty good odds. And, you know, even if you're not on key, let's say you're, you're sharp a little bit, or let's say you're, you're flat a little bit, it's okay, okay because the theory says it all averages out. According to the laws of physics, the sound waves that are sharp and the sound waves that are flat sort of cancel each other out with troughs and high points and all this, and it winds up being in tune. That's why when you see a stadium of people singing the national anthem, they always sound like they hit the high note on tune. Why? They're not hitting it. They're just averaging it. And it's okay. So when, when you're, you're worshiping, if you need to sit, go ahead and sit down. But make sure that you keep on singing. Then somebody will say, well, what about that one person who sings a note unknown to mankind? And you know who you are. It's okay. We call that singing in an unknown tongue. And it's, it's led by the Spirit. It's okay. So go ahead and sing. So, you know, just keep worshiping because worship is what God has called us to do. And it's just such a, a vibrant, fun thing to do. It's not always easy to worship. Sometimes it's very, very hard to worship. It's hard to worship when you're lonely, when you feel like you're the only one in your life. Oh, there's people around you. It's almost harder to be lonely in a crowd than lonely by yourself. But when you're lonely and you don't feel as though people are responding or friends, it's hard to worship. It's hard to worship when you're in the valley. It's hard to worship when it's dark. It's hard to worship when you're exhausted and tired. It's hard to worship when you're confused. It's hard to worship when you're afraid. It's hard to worship. But there are some people who just seem to be good at it, aren't there? There are some people who just seem to be really good at knowing how to worship it. And it's not just they, they've got the hand motions down and the singing down and, and the Baptist bounce down. Uh, it's, you know, it's not just that. It's that they really know how to connect with God. They really know how to worship. You know, one person that really knew how to worship was King David. David was really good at worshiping. He was worshiping all the time. If he was being chased by the Philistines, he'd hide out in the cave and he'd start worshiping. And if he was being chased by his son, Absalom, who was uh, rebelling and trying to take over the kingdom, he would flee to another spot. And when he got there, he would, he would worship God. And when things were going really well, he would, he would say, let's all praise God. And when things were going bad and his sin had been found out, 
He would turn to God and he would worship him with a prayer of repentance. And the cool thing about David was every time he worshiped, he kept a journal. He kept a journal of how he worshiped, and he would write down how he worshiped. And we collected them together, and a lot of them, now it's in the book of Psalms. And the Psalms ends with a series of psalms, all of which begin with hallelujah, which is simply Hebrew for praise the Lord. And so the book of Psalms ends with uh, one after another after another. Let's praise God. Let's give him uh, the, the, the glory. Let's worship God. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's praise him. So David really knew how to worship God even when things weren't going so well, even when he had stumbled and sinned. And I think that's why God said, you know, Dave, you're a guy after my own heart. You're, you really touch my heart. It's not because you're perfect. Look, David was not perfect. So it's not because you have your act together. A lot of times he didn't. So David, it's just because wherever you are, whenever, whatever's going on, David, you get around to worshiping me. And that changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. You see, this is why belief in God and stuff just won't cut it. Um, I remind you what God and stuff is. Ask your friend, do you believe in God? And most of your friends will say, I believe in God and stuff. Well, God and stuff doesn't have a plan for your life. God and stuff doesn't have a purpose for your life. God and stuff doesn't have power that he can give you to live. God and stuff is not worthy of worship. But the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has sent upon us the gift of the Holy Spirit, he is worthy of worship. Amen. See, and because we know him through Christ, we are drawn to worship him. And I'd like for us to, to, to just think for a few moments about what it means to worship God. Now, I was trying to think of examples out of the Bible of people who had worshipped God at various times, and, and there are scads of them. That's a technical term, but there are scads of folks in the Bible who are worshipping God in, 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 in adverse circumstance and so forth. But I thought we would just cut to the chase where we're all going to wind up if we know Christ as Lord and Savior, and that's in the book of Revelation chapters 4 and 5. You may want to turn there. We won't read the entire chapters, but there are five hymns here. There, there are five instances in which God is worshipped in heaven, and the Lamb is worshipped in heaven. I just want us to look at that as to what this worship is like, because you do know when we gather to worship here, we're just practicing for worshiping there. Uh, so here's, here's what's going on. The first one I want for us to look at, start at verse 8. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and around and within. Don't get bent out of shape. These, these creatures, um, what they, um, not represent, but what, uh, yeah, yeah, what they represent is, is really the presence of God's creation in heaven. It is that God, these are living creatures. And uh, if we had read further about them, we would come to understand they represent the, the totality and the sweep of the life that God has put on this earth. And they do God's bidding because that's the purpose of creation and so forth. Um, that, I think that's the best way to take it. So, so think about it this way. In heaven, God's throne is, is surrounded by the representatives of his creation. And here's what they're saying to God. You ready for this? It used to be hymn number one in all our hymnals, but then they changed that. But anyway. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is 
and is to come. They sing about the holiness of God. You know, and I, I always wonder about that. We, say, we tell God, God, you're holy, you're holy. And, and it's not like God didn't know that. You know, it's not like we're adding to the holiness of God. What we are doing is recognizing the holiness of God. And we cry out threefold, holy, holy, holy. That's a three-part sermon. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, we cry out in the holiness of God and worship him for who he is. We worship him for the worth that is God because he is holy. A lot of you have heard about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards lived in the colonial period in the early uh, uh, 18th century or so and uh, is known as the first American philosopher, which means he was also the first American theologian. Most people know um, Jonathan Edwards because he once preached a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And everybody says, oh, Jonathan Edwards, he's terrible. All he wants to do is talk about the wrath of God and how God's going to fry us like sausage in hell and, and how everybody's just bad, bad, bad and all that. Look, if that's what you think of Jonathan Edwards, you do not know Jonathan Edwards. The heart and the core of the theology of Jonathan Edwards is this, the beauty of God's holiness. See, a couple of times in the Psalms, David said that we are to worship in the beauty of holiness. Sometimes that's translated in the splendor of holiness. You see, the demons in hell know that God is holy. In fact, they've seen the holiness of God in action. They know the holiness of God, but they don't know the beauty of the holiness of God. They don't know how wonderfully attractive is the holiness of God, that he is so far above us and beyond us. He is so much more than we could ever imagine, that God's holiness means he is so uh, other than what we are in our frailty and our stumbling and our limitations, that God is eternal and infinite, that is, he is, is totally righteous and he is totally just, that God is the one who deserves all praise, that God is holy. Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, start out like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your name be recognized as holy. And you remember from a few years ago when we went through uh, the Lord's Prayer, that really is the theme of the Lord's Prayer. How is the holiness of God expressed in our lives? And so God in heaven is worshipped because he is supremely holy. And that holiness of God attracts us to him. Now, when you worship God and you worship his holiness, let me tell you something about the circumstances of your life. Whatever you're going through, whatever problems you have, whatever confusion there is, whatever doubts, whatever fears, whatever apprehensions, whatever's crowding in on your life, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, God is still holy. And he is still deserving of worship and praise. God is still glorious and worthy of our worship and praise. And so, if you're going to worship God, first of all, worship God for what he is worth, for his holiness, for who he is. And then we read on very quickly. Let's uh, uh, turn the page. My pages are sticking together. There you go. All right. Uh, down to, to verse 11. We should really back up to verse 10. Then the 24 elders, the 24 elders, 
uh, I think the best interpretation is, is, is to get us to think about the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, that, that the church was founded and based, the redeemed community of God is based upon the prophets of the Old Testament, apostles of the New Testament. In other words, God's working through his covenant community, the old and the new covenant. I think that's the best way to understand it. There's other interpretations, but you wind up in the same place, and that is these are folks who represent people on earth who can worship God in heaven. That's, that's the representative. Anyway, these 24 elders fall down before him, him who is seated on the throne, that's God, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They, casting, they cast down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, if you remember the hymn. But they cast their crowns before the throne. Here's what they're saying. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For, Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We worship God because of what he has done. We worship him for his works. He has created this world around us. It's around everybody. But oh, how blessed are those who stop and worship and see the glory of God in creation. You know, if I go to an art gallery... The way I walk through an art gallery is like this. When is it over? When is it over? Oh, no, she's reading the plaque in front of her. Oh, come on, when is it over? That's the way I, I, I walk through an art gallery. The way someone who knows art walks through an art gallery is they come to the very first picture, and they just stand there and soak it in. Because I see a picture, this person sees art, and they know to stop and revel in it. So you look at the world around you and you just see stuff. Stop and see the glory of God and worship him. You know, it's a lot easier to do these days than it used to be. Um, there, there's, uh, uh, well, I was going to tell you that I run on a treadmill, and that's not quite true. Um, I waddle on a treadmill. But as I'm, as I'm doing my version of running on a treadmill, what I discovered is um, it, you put the TV in front of the, the treadmill, and uh, there are YouTube videos that people have taken running all over the world. They put a little GoPro or they have a gimbal thing that they, that they hold. And they, they run these ra- running trails all over the wi- world. And so by putting that on the television while I'm on, the, on the, uh, the, um, the treadmill, I feel like I'm running with them. And I have run in, 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 in Burma. I've run in Bangkok. I've, I've run in Paris. I've run in London. You know, I've run all over the world. And not only that, I looked good doing it because the guy with the camera looked good, and he was going, like, really, really fast. And that's how fast I was going, I'm sure. So, but, you know, we're running along and all that. But the other day, uh, I put on a guy, and he was running in the Grand Canyon. Um, and he was running down that trail that goes down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, um, and uh, I was really good at it. You know, we're dodging mule trains and, and we're passing other people and all this other sort of stuff. But as we're running along, every now and then you turn a corner and there you just see the total vista of the Grand Canyon. And I couldn't help but thinking, how can you stand here and look at this and not know there's a God? You would have to be a fool to look at the Grand Canyon and not say, there is a God who is glorious in his creation. I dare say a lot of people look at the Grand Canyon and say, isn't that a great ditch? (laughs) But thank God when he he moves your heart just to see something and to remember to give God the praise 
and the honor and the glory for it. And so we praise God for his work of creation, that he has designed this universe that we can exist in it and grow to the point where we can acknowledge who God is. We just give God the glory for his work of creation. Uh, Very quickly moving on. In verse 9, and what has happened here is uh, um, that the one upon the throne has a scroll. I think the best interpretation is that this scroll represents God's plan of redemption for all creation. And they say, well, nobody can open the scroll. Nobody can open the scroll. And finally, the angels say, wait a minute, the Lion of Judah can open the scroll. And so John turns, and there's the Lamb standing as his slain who goes and receives the scroll from God the Father, and he alone is worthy to unroll the scroll. In other words, to reveal God's plan and God's direction for the universe. That's very simple, but uh, I think that gets us in the ballpark. And when that happens, um, in, in verse 8 it says, when, the, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they all fall down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls and silver. And they sing a new song. This is verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll. You're worthy to open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You worship the Lamb. Why? Because he gave his life for us. And folks, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how hard it is to worship, no matter how confused you are, no matter what your circumstances are, nothing can change the fact that Jesus gave his life to save sinners. And that will never change. Worship God for what he has done in creation. Worship God for what he has done in saving us and in our redemption. Very quickly, we move on. I mean, this is one of those worship services that just keeps going and going and going. Because once they said that, he looks and around the throne, he sees the elders and the angels, and suddenly there's angels numbering myriads and myriads. And in case you don't know what that means, thousands of thousands sing with a loud voice. Here's the angels now singing. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is always worthy. And it's not as though we give these things to Christ who does not have them. We recognize them that they exist supremely in the Lamb that was slain. In other words, when you worship him, worship him for what he what he communicates about God to us. Worship God for his word, for his wisdom that comes to us. Folks, you you, you have to be a hopeless cynic not to see the beauty of Scripture. There are some people who tell you that. They'll tell you, oh, I read the Bible, and it's just a bunch of ugly stories about people and war and bloodshed and this, that, and the other. Now, when you read it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, you see there the beauty of Christ for us. Worship God for the beauty of Scripture and the promises of God that come to us and the wisdom of God that comes to us. And by the way, nothing in the circumstance of of your life will ever change the magnificent wisdom of God in his word to us. So worship him for his word. Uh, Time eludes us, so we very quickly move on. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. So now everybody's singing this, and they're saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to the Father and to the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. If you ever learn to worship God that way, worship him for his worth for his work and for his word, then your life will be transformed. 
will be absolutely changed. You see, when you worship God that way, it puts things into perspective. It reminds you that whatever's defeating you today is going to be a defeated thing when Christ comes again. And that the victory belongs to our God. And worship him. That'll transform your life. Absolutely. So now, with that as the introduction, we turn back to Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now you understand why Paul pauses. He's just talked about all this glorious truth about God and what God has done in Christ for us. And just before he gets into the therefore part, you know, here's how it's going to work out in your lives part. He just pauses to give God the praise, the honor, and the glory. And he says it this way, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. God who is able to do all abundantly more than you ask, more than you can think, more than you can imagine. According to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church because that's the purpose of the church. And in Christ Jesus because that's what Jesus came to do was to bring us to the glory of the Father throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what I'd like to just challenge you this week to do every day, every day this week, actually every day the rest of your life, but at least this week, every day, pause at least once and give God the glory for who he is and what he has done and how he has come to us and spoken to us. Give God the glory for his worth, his work, and his word. You like that, three W's? In fact, they all start with W-O-R. you got to remember it now. The worth, the work, and the word. Because when we give the glory to God, then the glory of his presence is made real to us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for your glorious nature. Thank you for your revelation in Christ Jesus. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you that you let us worship you. And I pray that from this point we would go out into the world and into our lives and that our lives would be vessels of your praise, that we would be outposts of your glory, that in our lives you would be worshiped and adored as you alone are worthy. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.